when we started our business, I always wanted our business to have quite diversified cash flow. So I never wanted us to be a pure play business that could be knocked over by something, even if we were operating in the UK instead of West Africa, which is obviously very different environments to be in. Um, so as a result, when COVID hit, and it's one thing that you know, it shows from huge failures and heartbreaks some good can come out of it, that I think our business was really well positioned for COVID because we had really diversified business activities. Welcome to Screw It, Just Do It, the number one ranked entrepreneurship podcast for business owners, entrepreneurs, and those aspiring to be so. The aim of this show is to showcase the world's most inspiring and interesting people who've decided to screw it, just do it. We offer 20% inspiration and 80% education, giving you the tools and advice to start, grow, and scale a successful business. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell, fellow entrepreneur, podcast agency owner with a number one podcast and startup advisor to global startup generator and early stage VC, Antler. Each week, I release two episodes, a Q&A every Wednesday with one of the world's most inspiring figures, plus a solo episode every Saturday where I cover the challenges that all of us are facing as entrepreneurs. So welcome to another episode of Screw It, Just Do It with me, Alex. And my special guest this week is Matthew Mills, CEO of Deliciously Ella, the plant-based brand which started as a personal blog by Ella Mills and has now evolved into an app, recipe books, a restaurant, a range of some 40-something food products, I believe, and a podcast with 25 million downloads. Matt's been the CEO of Deliciously Ella since 2015. Now you're about to celebrate 10 years as a category-defining brand. Revenues projected to top £20 million this year. About to expand into Europe with nearly 3 million households in the UK uh, purchasing your products. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. Now, I read that back in May 2015, you and your wife Ella went for a walk with each other. And by the end of that walk, you decided you wanted to start a business together and the first thing that you wanted to start so ultimately wanted to start was a restaurant um can you take me back to that time in 2015 um what were you doing work-wise personally um and you know what memories have you got from that conversation sure yeah so ella and i actually met right after her first book came out in january of 2015 and we started dating a couple of weeks after it had come out and everything had moved very quickly in our relationship. We'd moved into with each other after a week. We bought a dog after about six weeks and we went for a walk in, I think, May or June of 2015. And um, we just started discussing. I had been working in finance, um, but had very itchy feet and wanted to leave. Um, and it was just so clear that there was a business opportunity here to do something between us. And Ella had built this amazing community um, of people through her recipe website. And the book had really taken the brand from being what was an online community into an, into something that was offline and, and being spoken about in the press. And um, it just was starkly clear to us that there was a business opportunity and we felt like we could combine what felt like some skill sets then. Looking back, I'm not sure if we had too many skill sets between us, but we've, <laughs> we've been on a great journey of acquiring those. Um, and But it just felt that there was an obvious opportunity there. And we, we went on and we got back from that walk and um, I decided I'd quit my job and that we would start trying to do something together. And that was the first time you'd, you'd had that conversation about starting business yeah, together? It, or? Yeah, it really was. I think that we... 
you know, our relationship had moved incredibly fast. There was a lot happening in our world at the time. And um, that was the first time we we, we really decided it. But we, it was a one or two hour walk and it was crystal clear in our minds when we got back from it that we should do something together. Mm. And at, at that point in time, what did Deliciously Ella look like um, as a business? We talked briefly offline about that it was a brand before it was a business. But yeah. what, what did it kind of look like business-wise, you know, with your CEO hat on now, like revenue-wise? And... Yeah, sure. So it was, I mean, it wasn't really a business as such. It had, um, the first book had just come out. So there was revenues being generated from that. I think the social media following, I think Ella had about... 320,000 or so followers on Instagram. So a lot, a lot smaller than now. Um, I think the revenue of the business in 2015 was about 250,000 pounds, um, including all of the revenues from the book. So it was, it was Ella doing stuff personally, really. It was everything that was being done was driven through the activities that Ella was doing, i.e. the book um, and any brand ambassadorships that she was doing at the time. But it wasn't I would say a kind of business as such like we are today. Mm, interesting. And um, when you met, what did the vision look like that, that Ella had for, for the brand herself? And how did you go about joining forces and turning that into reality? Because as I mentioned in the intro, you know, pretty substantial food products range. Yeah. Uh, the subscription app is, I didn't realise how many subscribers you got, but it's like close to 200,000. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Amazing. Um recipe books um deli now restaurant so yeah how, how do you what was the vision like and how did you you know go about joining forces and, and turning that into reality yeah the great thing was was that we were you know, and i still believe this to this day that much more so than what you know we're not a restaurant or an fmcg business or an app or a cookery book at our absolute core we are a plant-based food and wellness company and that is what ella had started and it was then just deciding about what kind of activities we could go into that we thought would be most useful for consumers and how we could continue to build community around those and how we could be something that would be genuinely useful for people's lives and um, the first thing that we decided to do was to open a physical space um, so we opened this very very small cafe um, on a pretty remote street and uh, it was a kind of experiment really just to see how the brand could live as a commercial entity and I think we were surprised by um, the level of excitement that we initially got for that and I think it really compelled us to believe that there was just so much more that could be done with this and so I think we were both clear and I was I knew when we started working with each other, we didn't want this to be a kind of small lifestyle business. We wanted it to be something that we could really, really grow. Mm -hmm. And it became very clear to us very, very quickly that the way to really grow this business would be one through food products, which um, we launched our food product in August of 2016. We're now in about 6,000 shops in the UK and it's been a really amazing um, journey with with that. And then the other way that we could do it is through trying to find ways that we could monetize our content. So Ella is an absolute genius at creating content. Um, and the way that we've been able to monetize that is through our app where we have 800 plant-based recipes. We have 250 exercise videos. We have um, 200 bits of other mindfulness and sleep content. It's a really great holistic health tool. Mm. I, f I find a lot of that really, really interesting. <laughs> what, what you said that I'll probably come back to and I love that idea you know of of the you know building that community and then and then finding out you know what that community actually needs and how you can supply 
solutions to the problems that that, that community has. Did you was 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 a lot of that like crowdsourcing, asking them what they wanted, or was was the the vision that 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 you both had together pretty strong then, and it's kind of mirrored in what you're doing now? Yeah, I think. When we were starting out, it was probably more done on feeling, whereas what we can mm. do now is, I think, much more based on facts because we've got much better data sets and much more data that we're, we're, we're able to use. Um, at the start, it was more done on the basis of, you know, what was what had been really popular on social media. What were we anecdotally finding that people were cooking the most or mm. seemed to be most interested in? And so, um, but then also, you know, which categories? So, for example, when we we're launching our food products business, which category did we think was the best place for us to launch a food business into? And we decided that was snacking. So, um, so that was the way it started about at the start. And I would say that there was kind of priority on action over great strategy at that point <laughs> um but i think as the business has grown and as we've been able to um make using data a really key skill within the business i think that, that that's obviously shifted a lot how, how much um of the decisions you make are, are based in data because i remember chatting to um the ceo of grays and uh he was saying at the time that they could, they just expanded into the US and they'd got 100,000 subscribers within 30 days or something crazy like that, like that. But they could turn around the new product in 24 hours, wow. which is like, yeah, it's kind of like jaw dropping really and how they could turn that around. But how, how much you led by, by data and how much, you know, now obviously the business has expanded considerably over, over the last five, six years, but how much is based on data and how much is still on, you know, gut instinct or the community's kind of leading with questions yeah we're still i feel like as a as a company we're still com completely community-led mm. um but we as the business has grown we've definitely been able to get much more useful data around what we think would work so you know when we were first starting out we didn't have the budgets to be able to invest into um till data so understanding actually how a, how a product was performing in store and um, our app is a relatively new evolution of the business and so we but we now have great data where we really believe that the content that we're adding there and the services that we're adding there are things that we know our users really really want and we can see the way that they're using the app and so I'd say it's definitely something that as the business grown has been something that we've got much 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 better at um, but still it's not it's not perfect. No, it, it just popped into my head because it's really, really interesting. I've, and I've, I've chatted to Alan Barrett um, a few times. He's become a friend of mine, you know, um, fan of Grenade. And um, the chocolate, you know, they turned that protein bar into a chocolate bar, you know, very obviously marketing led into what, what they did there. But, you know, when you kind of drill down into the decision they make with that, he said that the whole board was against it. They all ruled it. And he said, I just, I just went off and I, I just got a thousand made or 10,000, I think it like a 10,000 production run. And he said they went in 24 hours and I went behind the boards back to get it done. And I just knew yeah. that it was going to be successful. And now they've got like the number one chocolate bar in the UK. So yeah, no, sometimes <laughs> you do, sometimes you do just know. It. And sometimes the most difficult decisions are when the, what the data is showing, but what you really, really believe when those things contradict each other, that's when the really difficult decisions have to be made. And mm. I think there's lots of businesses where the kind of the data of today may be saying something, but as a leader of the business, you you have to have an eye on tomorrow as well. And you may be seeing something beyond just what today's data is showing that means you, you feel like you need to make a change of some kind. We've we've had that in our business for sure. Yeah. And you mentioned before as well that, you know, when um, you got together as, as a couple and you went into business together, the, the business model was 
was was a lifestyle brand. And I always remember chatting to Julian Hearn from Huel and um, him saying he sold a business, launched this new business, Huel, and he'd set it out. He didn't want to employ anybody. He just wanted it to be a lifestyle business because the end of year one, I'd done 750,000 in revenue and I knew it wasn't going to be a lifestyle business. <laughs> yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. I mean, it's these, when, when you really, I think, solve a consumer need, the growth can become very quick, very fast. So, mm. Yeah, and and that decision going back to to go into business together. Um, interested to know feedback from family and friends. Was there was there any? Yeah, so I'm not a very impulsive person. I think I'm a decisive person, but I'm not an impulsive person. And I think that you could, you know, my immediate fondness of Ella. I think you could probably chalk down to decisiveness, um, as I think it was reciprocated from her. But I think that when we decided to move in together after a week, and then we decided to buy a dog after six or seven weeks, and then start a business, I think we were getting some funny looks about um, <laughs> is this kind of crazy impulsiveness that's driving this? Um, but you know, we felt we knew where what what we were doing. We've been we just celebrated actually just last week. We had the um, seventh anniversary of our first date, and so we're still hanging in there. Amazing. Uh, two little girls at home, which is uh, yes, we're still going strong. I, I saw that. I thought mine. Are, I'm at the other end of the spectrum. Mine are my two girls are 13 and about to become 15. So okay. it's like another another universe that I'm inhabiting oh, right now. Oh my now. gosh! Yeah, gives me anxiety <laughs> even the thoughts of it. And so it should. Yeah. <laughs> and and the dog has his own Instagram channel now. Yeah. So I was actually I was I was doing some with uh, with that. It's kind of been slightly retired i was actually looking at starting a dog food business um and so i was trying to i was definitely a big fan of trying to build community and then try and find uh useful product services that we could um provide for 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 that community and so i was looking at doing something in dog food but it wasn't able to work out (laughs) um i chatted to to other couples who've been in business together and and grenades spring to mind because i've interviewed them both separately like alan and uh and juliet um did you set out early doors what your roles were going to look like or did that just evolve because it seemed to happen pretty damn quickly? Yeah, I think that we, I mean, when we first started, we both did everything because mm. we had to. I mean, when we opened our first cafe, I was working, um, I was on the coffee machine. Ella was take, was on the till so that she could talk to customers. I was clearing plates. It was, you know, all hands on deck. But I think that, from the kind of actual more beyond the, you know, on the coal face operating, um, from the actual business, we do such incredibly different things. We have interest in such different things. You know, Ella is absolutely amazing at content. She is amazing at building community. She is obviously been incredibly successful with her books. Um, whereas my interest and my skill set and where we do very different things is much more on the kind of classic business side of things, just operating a business. Mm. And um, that's why we, I think we've just been so fortunate that we were able to come together um, not just as as people in our in our personal lives, but then to be able to complement each other in our professional lives by doing things that um, enable one another, support one another, um, with completely different skill sets in that. So we really don't get that involved in each other's thing of work. It feels relatively separate in that because we do such incredibly different things. Right, and, and any demarcation lines at, at home at no, weekends? No, I think we. It becomes laughable now, but when we first started, we we were like, let's not talk about work at home, and yeah. then obviously that lasts about two minutes. So <laughs> we still now. I mean, 
we I just mentioned that we had our seventh anniversary of our first date. We ended up speaking about team structure and you know some international launches that and some news that I had on on those things. Um, and so yeah, work is never far away. It's funny is that because I, I catch myself all the time just come back from um, skiing holiday and you just you just catch yourself over dinner talking about like my business to her and he suddenly after saying hang, hang on a minute she's actually interested in listening to me talk yeah. again about yeah it's <laughs> honestly that it's been i mean growing a business is is obviously it's, it's really difficult and we've cancelled numerous holidays we've had loads of things that got in the way of life because our business has come just first for so much of the time and it's actually working together i think has made the whole thing tolerable because i think mm. if i was taking someone else and i was started a business and was running it had to cancel six holidays in our first two years of going out i think that person would probably would have lost patience pretty quickly yeah whereas there's a deep understanding given we're both in it together mm. and you talked about you know it, it being difficult to to run a business to grow a business um how did the pandemic affect the business you read before you you shut shut the deli down there for for example and so many shops shut down during during the pandemic but equally you then opened a restaurant so yeah yeah so a bit of a longer story but before i um started the kind of commercial side up um at delicious Ella, when i was actually working in finance i was involved in a um, business that we were trying to get off the ground um in west africa where we were, i had a friend who had started a social enterprise down there and we had tried to start a commercial business um down there in food and farming and we had been on the cusp but i invested money i'd had friends who had invested money we were on the cusp of raising a large amount of money um and ebola hit and all of the capital from us was pulled and so and we were a pure play business where you know, with ebola there there was absolutely no way to turn it was mm. it was a disaster so actually when by design when we started our business, I always wanted our business to have quite diversified cash flow. So I never wanted us to be a pure play business that could be knocked over by something, even if we were operating in the UK instead of West Africa, which is obviously very different environments to be in. Mm. Um, so as a result, when COVID hit, and it's one thing that you know it shows from huge failures and heartbreaks and good can come out of it, that I think our business was really well positioned for COVID because we had really diversified business activity. So whereas our restaurant or what used to be our cafe, now our restaurant, that was closed basically for 18 months. And of course, I had no revenue, but we had some ongoing bills for that. Our app in that time, because people were cooking at home and exercising at home, did incredibly well. Our food products, whereas you know a bulk of our our volume was going through single serve snacking, which people completely collapsed because people weren't walking down the high street. Mm. Um, our breakfast cereals, our, our larger take-home format packs in our food products business did really, really well. So overall, despite everything that happened, our business stayed in double-digit growth, which we were really, really proud of. But that is amazing. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> um, and you know that that decision to to create different products seems an obvious one now. Looking back, seeing and seeing your products on the shelves of like our electro, local waitress we're getting like granola and energy balls when I do my long distance runs at the weekend <laughs> things like that um, but how easy a decision was it back in I think you said like 2016 was it yeah. and, and what kind of stringent process do you have every time somebody comes up with an idea for a new product yeah so the ideas have come from different places sometimes it will be you know Ella will have a two different bits of food and she'll be putting them together and I'll have a 
twinge that that could be a food product. Sometimes it comes from just a recipe that Ella's created that we think could be a food product. Sometimes there will be some kind of new category data that we think um, there's an interesting opportunity for us. So they really come about in very different ways. But the one thing that we've been absolutely sure about is that we didn't want to be a pure play business, even within our products business. So mm. we didn't just want to be a snacking company. We felt like because our brand has been um, formed in content, we've published over 2000 plant-based recipes since we since Ella started our recipe website. Um, we feel like we should be playing across categories. So we, are, we have a range of breakfast cereals, we have multiple different snacking products, we have a range of soups, a range of cooking sauces, a range of frozen desserts. And we really like the ability to play across category. We feel like it aids the overall brand. Mm. And can you remember which was the first one? Yes, yeah, so our energy oh, yeah. balls were the first product uh, that we okay. launched. I thought so, it was. I was yeah, just trying to remember. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so we, we launched those into Whole Foods in August of 2016. And our second customer ever was Starbucks, which is just mad. Was that? Thinking about it, yeah. It was. Wow. We, I sat there guessing the... I looked up who the UK MD was and... I just started guessing what his email address could be. And um, one of the emails got through and he responded to me about 10 <laughs> minutes later. And then we um, went for a meeting with him the following week and got a listing. And we have just kind of literally couldn't believe it. <laughs> so, yeah. Isn't it funny that the emails are quite often so so obvious as well, like Richard yeah. at virgin.com or something, <laughs> yeah. something like that. It literally yeah, yeah. is, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It's like... yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> um, and what kind of process do you do you have now? Um, and I was thinking back to the, the the grenade story where nobody was like, you know, actually did any testing or anything like that. But do you have a process so that we get the community involved with? Yeah, so we do. Um, we do some consumer testing. We'll do some stuff um, in our restaurant. We'll do some stuff just within kind of wider um, team members, friends and family, so they're not so directly linked to us. Um, and then we'll just do various kind of consumer panels and surveys and stuff. Yeah. And how confident were you that the community would go out and buy the, buy the products? Uber confident? I, I mean, I think as much as we could be, I felt like it would be one thing to get them to go buy it once, but how do we get them coming back time and time again? Mm. Um, and ultimately that just comes down to how good a product can we launch and so we were i was i was pretty confident when we first launched that that would happen but um you run into issues that you just never expect being issues that you run into in food manufacturing which can sometimes inhibit things yeah and and is there any way of tracking like how many people i suppose there isn't but you know how, how many people consume those products who are part of the community and then how many you're getting in front of like a brand new audience that's there's never come across the deliciously other brand before yeah we don't have that data explicitly but i think we no. can make relatively decent guesses at things so we know mm. that we've been bought by about three million households in the uk in the last six months um and we can start to kind of extrapolate that through our community to understand what kind of levels roughly are buying and you've seen the community um, continue to grow. Um, did that grow exponentially during the pandemic and with people at home, people on social media, a lot more people listening to podcasts, a lot more, that kind of thing? Yeah, it, it grew a bit. We, um, yeah, I think we've had a kind of steady build. I think one of the things that's really 
benefited our businesses other than in early 2015 when Delicious Yetta really had this kind of huge catapult from something that was, as I said, this niche or online community that Ella had done this incredible job of building. When the first book came out, that was really the kind of the big moment for Delicious Yetta that, that gave it the springboard to where it is today. But beyond that, we haven't had moments where the business or the kind of brand has been too hot. I think it's just been a relatively nice just build up to where we are. And that's something that we've really tried to be as well. We want our business to have real staying power. And we feel like if the business is kind of too popular or too hot, then it's probably got the opportunity to go the other way. Whereas if we can just build slowly and incrementally, we feel like that's a, a better way for the long term of building the brand. And just because friends have done this recently as well with the business, with with regards to to the app, um, how long did it did it take you from ideation to to actually onboarding people onto it? And yeah, the, the app was one of was a really big turning point in the business. So up until uh, mid 2018, the, the old part of the Delicious Yellow business, which is really the content part of our business, was very much reliant upon other people paying us for stuff. So mm-hmm. Ella would do brand ambassadorships for other brands. And um, we made a really clear decision in mid 2015, mid 2018, sorry, that we didn't want to do that anymore. We wanted to be an independent food company where we would only be talking about promoting the things that we are doing. Mm. And it was just a better business. It was something that we could then forecast that would be recurring, that could build real value. Um, and so it, obviously whenever Ella, if she would tag someone on social media or if she would um, be paid to do an advertising campaign, it could be quite lucrative and it's basically 100% margin of, of what you're getting there. And yeah. so in the early stages of building the business, it was really, really important revenue for us. But it felt like the business said we had got to a point now where we were trying to do too much ourselves through all of these company controlled activities, our, our food products, et cetera, that it just didn't feel like that made sense anymore. So we had um, we had £150,000 left in the Delicious Yellow Bank account and we spent every single penny of it on our app and our finance director looked at us like we were crazy at the time. Really? And we had concerns in the business about um, about what this would mean because the revenues that Ella was getting from some of the more personal stuff she was doing um, could be were, were really meaningful. But mm. we're just absolutely certain that this was the change in model that we needed. And so we we risked a lot at that point. And if it hadn't worked, it would have been a it would have been a real concern. And we developed the app over about four months with our developers and it came out and we knew within about the first 10 days that this was the right thing to do. And the subscriber base immediately grew. We could see um, the levels of engagement that we were getting and after kind of we, we felt pretty sure after 10 days after four months we knew we could see um, that this was absolutely the right thing to have done and it's been an amazing business to grow um, over the last three years I bet because you often think and I'm sure there's countless examples but trying to move people from platform to platform yeah doesn't always work but I think you, you said like the, the Instagram channel um, is like couple of million at the moment and then yeah. you think how many people you can you can get to take an action by clicking on that link uh to, to then go and download the app and then mm-hmm. sign up so it must be fascinating looking at the data from that and then looking yeah. how you can build that yeah it, it it really is and i think it's just a 
I think it's a really nice way to build a business is around community to, to build up a group of people who are interested in the subject, whatever it is that you're talking about, and to understand what matters to those people and then trying to find the ways that you can provide a good or service that is of real use to them, I think is just a really neat way of building a business. Mm. Yeah, literally I'm recording next week with um, someone who was a guest on the show is now a really good friend of mine, Piers Lenny, former Dragon's Den investor, and he's launching a new business called Moblox. And he's building the community first. And he had, had on his board the guys who created GiftGaff, for example, you know, which is a, a great example, again, of building that community. Like the community are asking, answering the questions that the new customers have, have yeah. got, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, what, what do you think are the, some of the keys to, to building, you know, a, a, not just a, a community, but like an engaged community? I think it's... First of all, I think it's about complete consistency. I think people have to know what they're coming to you for. I think that if you are doing something where the content that you're doing is um, is erratic or it isn't consistent, I think it's I think it's very difficult to build a community around that. I think that if you want to, I, I keep using this word useful, but I think it's a really important word in community. There is obviously, I think there's you know, there must be millions and millions of Instagram accounts that people can follow, but which ones are actually useful to their life. I think particularly as people appear to be trying to spend slightly less time on their phones as well. How do you create content for them that isn't just a scroll for a scroll sake, but it's something that can actually add a level of value to their lives each day mm. is a big focus for us. And from building a community, building a brand to, to building a business, uh, talk me through the decision uh, that you both made to, to buy back um, full shareholding of the business mm -hmm. yourselves from your investors yeah so we had raised money in early 2017 from um from a group of investors and like a lot of investors i think they get to a point after kind of between five to seven years where they want that investment back and mm. out and hopefully plus some and we had got to a position where i think at that stage you have three options you either have the option to sell the business and all shareholders to exit at that point you have the option to effectively replace shareholders, so their shares to be bought out by someone else, or you have the opportunity, if you can, to to buy them out. And we were fortunate because our business was profitable, so we were able to raise some bank debt to um, to be able to buy them out. And so we're now, they own about 16% of the business, and we were able to buy out all of that. So we're 100% family-owned business again, which we're really proud of. Mm. And um, we feel like it's just the right fit for our brand. And did you look at the other options that you just talked about then, like selling the business, replacing the investors? Did you, did you look at every option or again, were you, were you both pretty bullish on this is what you wanted to do and how can we, you know, take action and put this into? Yeah, we absolutely did. I mean, I think that I, I really believe this, that I don't feel like I have a you know, God-given right to run this company. I think that this business is an amazing living, breathing thing in its own right, full of incredible people. And I believe that our business can do really great things for consumers as well. And I feel like it's always important that 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 we remain open, that at some point there may be someone who could run this business much better than we can and can do things to mm. fulfill the purpose of the company better than we can. And ultimately when we were looking at that in mid-2021, we decided that that, that that wasn't the case we are the best people to run this company and who knows whether that'll be in 10 years 50 years if our girls want to come work in the business um whenever that is but we 
we believe that we're the right people to run the company and to fulfill the purpose and the mission of the company. And so we made that decision and um, we love doing it. You know, we, we really, really love doing it. And I feel like we're doing the right things by the company. I feel like I, I feel like there's a big difference when we first started working together and we just had a, a cafe. You kind of feel like you're working for yourself. Mm. Um, I think now the company has really grown. We've got almost 50 employees and kind of indirectly we have about another 50 to 80 people who effectively make um, our business, enable our business. Um, I feel like we've got a deep responsibility to them as well. And so um, we take the longest term views we possibly can. And so you, you moved on from, say, Ella's not behind the till at the restaurant and you're not serving, <laughs> waiting on the table anymore. But yeah. you've been there and you've done that and you know what it's like. Yeah, I do. It's um, Yeah, I'm very glad we're past that point. <laughs> that was that was well on. And did you look at uh, any examples of people who'd done that previously? Because the, the one that springs to mind, just because he's an ex-boss of mine, Richard Branson, which mm. I worked for Virgin for nearly 20 years, but always remember him going after floating the business, I think, and then going back and buying that back and taking it private again. And it was like a huge, this is probably about 20 years ago now, something like that. But did you look to any particular examples or? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, my mum actually used to say this. She said, um, when when she was working in in the health service, she said, you've got to go and smell the babies. You can't just sit here and advise people in a hospital how to act and how to look after babies if you're not willing to go do some of the difficult stuff yourself. You have to go live and breathe this. And I still believe in in our business today. I would never ask someone to do in our business what I'm not prepared to do myself. So it's important that if needs be, I step in and wash the dishes if that needs to be done. And it's important that I'm also willing to stand up and communicate our business to a lot of people on a big platform if that's the right thing for us to do. And so I feel like you always need to have that lens. And I think that being able to have gone on this journey from the absolute beginnings of of this to where we are today really empowers us. I think it keeps us incredibly humble for how difficult it is and mm. how quickly if you get things wrong or you take it off the ball, it can go the opposite way. Um, and I think it's that sense of appreciation that really keeps us going and keeps us, I hope anyway, incredibly humble in the decisions we make. Mm. And as you reach a 10-year anniversary, how do you plan to, to scale and grow the business moving forwards? Because I've read you've got some pretty ambitious plans. Uh, yeah, we uh, yeah we have. I mean, we, we've definitely been slowed down by COVID the last two years. It was much more about just kind of managing our way through COVID, but it wasn't such a huge growth environment. But our business is already just um, in the last a few months has started to grow really, really fast again. And we've got a lot of international launches planned. I think we really want to stay within the same business activities that we're in. We've historically in our business, we've launched some kind of new business every every two years or so. Mm. Um, I think that we, you know, the structure of our business at the moment being our food products being one business, our restaurant being a second business, our subscription business being our, our third business. I think we're, we're really happy with those businesses. There's a I've got a couple of ideas floating around of things that I would potentially like for us to get involved in at, at some point. But I think that what we would most like to do is just take those three things and do them on much, much, much larger scale. And then mm. within the kind of fourth part of our business, which is the bit that Ella really solely controls, which is our, our podcast and books, I think it's just to continue to evolve those, to grow those, to publish more, hopefully really useful, great content in those. 
Have you, and this is just me because again, part of my business is, is events, but have you looked at things like festival events? You, you must yeah, have looked yeah, at, yeah, yeah, we have. We, we have. I think that the, um, we, we looked at it a while ago. It didn't feel like it was something that we were ready for at the time. And I think mm. it's also, it was something where um, doing one big, great one-off event is, I think what we're trying to do with our business is try and find things that we can do yeah, if we can make a food product once really well down the line, how yeah. can we make it then 50 million times well down down, mm. down the line? And so um, having the ability to replicate um, those things is is the model that we've been more focused on. And as as CEO, what what brands, what, what leaders do do you look to and think, oh, I would like us to be, you know, in the next 10 years like this you know be be that uh i don't know you know a nike or who you know whoever it might be you know apple or whatever i don't know yeah i uh so when we started our brand and i really started to think about brands in more detail the, the brands that i thought and i hoped that we would one day be able to become but with the brands that it felt like i had an emotional connection to mm. and nike's actually absolutely one of those i've always felt like they've been able to maintain the status of being really cool but never too cool they've just been really relevant the whole time for the time that they've been operating in so nike is a brand i admire a huge amount have you read shoe dog phil knight's i have yeah yeah that's one of my favorite yeah it's a great book it's a really really good book yeah um and then personally you you work alongside your wife ella uh building you know multi-million pound business you you got two little girls i believe as you, you said earlier what do you do to decompress personally? Gosh, there's not much time for it. I <laughs> I do actually, I have an incredibly understanding wife. So I play golf each uh, oh. every Saturday morning. So I play really early. I tee off at 7.30 and I'm home by 11, which is great because it means I get the rest of the weekend um, for the girls or for the business, which is, is often needed. Um, so I play golf, which is definitely my big switch off and I absolutely love it. And I think Ella's realised how important it is for me as well, just to have a bit of headspace each mm-hmm. week. But my life really now is, is my little girls, Ella, um, and all of the work and we get to work with the most incredible people in our business I feel so lucky to come into work each day and work with such special people um, and between those two things it's I feel like we've got a full life sounds, sounds amazing and yeah I'm, I'm a big golf fan I've just gotten back into it courtesy of the pandemic I think when the golf course is opened again yeah yeah great. and we literally myself and Two of my best friends, um, we we take Friday afternoons off now from, you know, only from, say, two o'clock. We tee off at two o'clock. But the way that now, you know, spring's getting lighter again, it just feels nice, you yeah. know, and it's just just the best feeling, you know. Even yes, if you play yeah. rubbish, you hit one decent shot out of 80-odd. <laughs> It'll make you come back again, won't yeah. it? Yeah, it's a special game, man. Love it. Yeah. And um, just just to finish up, Matt, would, would you recommend going into business with your wife is it for everybody yeah i think that you have to have huge levels of kind of mutual understanding for one another i think that you have to be able to i think communication is hugely key i think that i wouldn't recommend it if you both had the same skill sets you're mm. both trying to do the same things but i think if you have two different skill sets that can complement one another i think that it can be the most rewarding best thing in the world it's undoubtedly made us closer by doing this versus any, in any sense um, pulling us apart. So, but I think that that's been because we've done very different things. Mm. Well, it's, it, it's the brand certainly like permeated my subconscious and my wife walking around with like, 
the ubiquitous sweatshirt on to recipe books and now food products uh, as well. So big, big fan of the brand and um, yeah, you know, excited to see what you what you do over the next ten years. So it's been an absolute pleasure thank hosting you, you today. So thank, thank you very so, much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. If you'd like to learn how to launch and grow your own number one rated podcast like this with zero experience, zero knowledge, and zero tech skills, come and join me at ultimatepodcastmastery.com where I've just launched for a limited number of people a brand new podcast membership course. So you'll get access to my Ultimate Podcast Mastery membership course. You'll get my digital workbook my progress sheet, my launch checklist, and all of the nitty-gritty cheat sheets, templates, and scripts the Podpreneur way. You'll also get weekly live Q&A with me, exclusive WhatsApp group chat, and entry to my private Facebook group, as well as access to all my past interviews and trainings with special guests as well. This is available for a limited time for a limited number of people. So once it's gone, it's gone. But if you'd like to learn how to do exactly what I'm doing now, then I'll show you how. Head on over to ultimatepodcastmastery.com. If you found value in this free podcast, all I ask is that you tell somebody else about it. You don't have to leave a review or write a post on social tagging me in the screw it, just do it hashtag. But if you do, I promise to give you a shout out on a future episode and you have my eternal thanks. I'm at Alex Chisnell on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook, plus at Alexander Chisnell on Instagram. Alongside the screw it, just do it Facebook page. This houses the screw it, just do it community and has the most up-to-date information on all things Screw It, Just Do It, including all of our live events. I love hearing from you. If you either message me on LinkedIn or email alex at screwitjustdoit.org, I promise to reply. Just give me a little time.